0: Good morning, City Church. This is City Church Together for Thursday, July 30th. Well, we finished Revelation, so let's go back to the first of the Bible in Genesis. Um, what I want to give us today is a look at um, something that hopefully will um, tie a ribbon around the great gift that Lauren Donahue gave us in her podcast over the past um, two days. So if you uh, got your Bible and you want to follow along in Genesis 3, Genesis chapter 3, um, we are going to pick up in verse 7. This is right after um, the fall of humanity, after uh, um, the woman, as she is called in this passage, Uh, she is not called Eve until later, but as the the woman saw this tree in the garden, she was tempted by this serpent, Um, she defines uh, for herself that the fruit is good, even though God said not to touch it. She sort of reasons out herself that it's a pretty good idea to take a bite of the fruit, the snake. Um, the servant helps her come to that conclusion, and then we pick up in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them, the, the woman and the man, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, and more than any wild animal, you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I command you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. Then the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. And that is the word of the Lord. From Genesis chapter three. Uh, there is much to meditate on in those verses we just read, um, but here's where I want to spend our time today. I want to spend our time today on the um, idea that in from verse nine that the Lord God said to the man and the woman, "Where are?" you. Now, we know the attributes of God as he is described to us in Scripture, in his autobiography, as he describes himself to us, as he reveals himself to us. We know that the one of the attributes of God is that he is all-knowing. There is nothing hidden from God's knowledge. And so when God says to the man and woman, where are you, he is not asking for them to locate their GPS coordinates for him so that he can find them. He has not lost them in a sense of, he doesn't physically know where they are rather. uh, So that leaves us with a question. Leaves us with a question. What exactly and why exact, what is exactly where are you mean? And why exactly does God ask this question? Another interesting thing to think about is why does he ask it of the man and the woman and not of the serpent? He delivers a, cor- uh, a curse to the serpent and to the man and to the woman, but but he does not you know, carry on a conversation with the serpent, only with the man and the woman. And of course, the outworking of this is in this curse we get a promise um, and we get the fulfillment of we, we get the grace of God to allow the man and the woman to fulfill their callings that that we up to this point that we've had God given um, the man, uh, the woman being fruitful and multiplying specifically in childbirth here, the man being fruitful and multiplying specifically in cultivating the field um, but there are there's pain associated with both of those. And of course we get the promise that it is through the man and the woman coming together to produce to make a fruitful union okay as husband and wife um, that it is from it is from the seed that is given from the man to the woman that is cultivated into a child. It is from this seed that God will actually take the serpent down, that the serpent will be defeated. Now, back to that question, where are you, now that we've got all of the context of this passage. What does God mean, and why does he ask, where are you? Um, Here's what I think is happening, at least one layer of what is happening. God asks, where are you, not because he doesn't know. Well, let me answer this first. When God asks, where are you, He is looking for, uh, he is not looking for location. He is looking for intimacy. He is, and he is not asking for his information. He is asking for relationship, which is exactly what was broken when the man and the woman disobeyed God. You notice, you notice their actions. Um, The man and the woman individualize. The man and the woman atomize, they become individual atoms, A-T-O-M, not A-D-A-M. Adam atomizes, which is cool, um, but so does Eve. They they atomize, they become individuals, they each have their own bush to hide behind. Their relation with one another, their intimacy breaks between each other, and their intimacy with God breaks such that God comes and says, where are you? where are you the where are you from God is intended to be like smelling salts it is intended to be a wake-up call to the man and the woman to do some self-discovery it is intended for the man and the woman to have what we refer to what I refer to often as a mirror moment where they see themselves properly they don't self-aggrandize or make themselves bigger than they're supposed to be. They see themselves as they actually are in this fallen, broken, dark state that has rebelled against God. God says, where are you as a painful act of mercy and a pursuit of intimacy for the man and the woman? Um, when you Often when we think about praying, when we think about talking with God, um, often we think about prayer as a petition. Um, I am going to approach God to ask him to do something for me. There is something lacking in my life or there is some need that I have or some need that another has that I love, and I'm going to petition God for this. Um, We may even think of prayer as adoration or thanksgiving if you remember the old acts metaphor, ACTS, supplication would be would be asking God's for things and thanksgiving, thanking God for things. Adoration is adoring God uh, for who He is, for His attributes, calling those out. Um, but the C in there is confession, and I think that is what God is going for here. Um, it is not to point out. He's engaging them in an act of prayer. It's talking to God, but he wants their intimacy. And before that intimacy can happen, they are going to have to see themselves rightly in confession. They are going to have to own up to what they've done and who they are, their brokenness. Now, sometimes for us, when we pray, it might seem silly to to us to um, simply Talk to God about how we feel or to simply talk to God about our confusion when there's nothing that we think he's really obligated to do anything about or if I'm not asking God specifically to do this thing for me. But I want you to think about the way that intimacy works. The way that intimacy works is we are exposing parts of ourselves to another person so that they can better know us, Okay. Um, I, I I describe it like this. You know, if if you were to if you were to um watch if you were to be a fly on the wall in my house, and my wife starts talking to me about um uh she about let's say design or or interior decorating. Okay, so she starts talking to me about this. Now I don't have any sort of pragmatic use for any of that information. I am not going to interior design anything um, what my house looks like on the day my wife dies will be what the house looks like on the day that I die it will remain the same i will not move a picture I will not change a thing we're lucky if I dust all right so there's I, I have I have zero sort of personal interest in interior decorating or design my wife however has a lot of interest in it and she will talk to me about it, as will I her about sports and or nitpicky theological matters and or cultural things that I care about that she doesn't. Um, but we listen to each other. And if you were if you were uh, sitting in a chair and watching a discussion between me and my wife, and she was telling me about interior design, and I said, whoa, 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 hold up. None of this that you're giving me is anything I can do anything about or want to do anything about, or have any desire to ever do anything about. So this information is pointless and useless. Until you have something pragmatically that you would like me to do, then I would like you to stop talking. Okay? You would know, sitting in the chair observing me, that that is a dire mistake. You would know that I am cutting, I am stopping her from sharing a part of herself that is important to me and that by listening to her and understanding her, I actually develop intimacy. And you know this, like whenever we cut off a part of ourselves that we will not talk about or we will not share, it builds an emotional wall between us and the person that we decide not to share with. Um, we do have transactional relationships and we have intimate relationships. Transactional re- relationship is when you go through the Taco Bell drive through you're typically not going to go to the Taco Bell drive through and say, um, were you hurt at some point by your parents? You know, like we're not going to share that intimate information because we all know that's a transactional relationship. But in our friendships and in our church family and in our families and, and parents and children and spouses, um, th- these are not transactional relationships where we are primarily sort of pragmatic beings just doing things. We are growing intimacy by exposing inner parts of ourselves to each other, by telling people things, by confession. And so when God comes to Adam and Eve, or the future Eve, the man and the woman, in this case, when God comes to them and says to them, where are you? Are you? He is giving them an opportunity to look in the mirror and open up to Him about who they are. It's not that God doesn't know about that. It's that they now have the experience, they have the option and the experience to take a step of openness, confession, and vulnerability to make themselves weak and vulnerable. They already are weak and vulnerable, but to admit that they are weak and vulnerable before this God. And of course they they do it they do it with a lot of blame shifting but God even takes that small step with all of that ugly blame shifting that they do and yes there is a curse but embedded in the curse is also blessing the blessing that he's going to use their intimacy with each other as they form a child together that happens through intimacy okay through sexual intimacy and sexual intimacy is fueled by relational intimacy, vulnerability. So God is going to bring salvation Genesis 3:15 through this child. Additionally, note God's graciousness that he doesn't go never mind about the mission I gave you to be fruitful and multiply. No, he sows that right into this curse. Inside of this curse, he says you will still you will still be called into my mission to be fruitful and multiply. There will be pain in childbirth, and there will be the sweat of your brow as you make bread, cultivate bread, and as you uh, plant and harvest. That will be there, but I am not taking away from you what I want you, how I want you to partner with me in mission in this world. And ultimately, it is through your intimacy that I will bring salvation against the cursed snake and his ideas of rebellion. Because in the end, again, back to that question, why did God talk to the man and the woman and not the snake? It is because God has had a commitment that we would be in his image. So, yes, in a way, and the snake was not, the snake was a beast of the field. And so, in a way, when we look in the mirror, yes, we see something very ugly. We see the way that we've disobeyed God, we see the worst part of ourselves. But also because we are in the image of God, when we look in the mirror, there is also potential to see this God and what God has called us to, to partner with him, being fruitful and multiplying and cultivation in this world. And there's a part of us that in Jesus Christ, that we should have the boldness to see both of those things. The boldness to look in the mirror when God says, where are you? Instead of us crying out to God, God, where are you? I'm going to blame you for this. You haven't been faithful. You haven't. Instead of that, listening to God asking us, well, Trevor, where are you? Where are you right now in your relationships? Where are you right now in your relationship with me, in your relationship with your wife, with your kids, and with your church family, with your friends? Where are you right now in your relationship with your enemies? Can you take a good look in the mirror and not be afraid of the sin that Christ has died for? And can you take a good look in the mirror and rightly see yourself? I have called you into intimacy with me. I have called you my son. I have called you mine. You have everything you need for for life and godliness. You are lacking in nothing. You are fully equipped to be fruitful and multiply. Yes, it will come with pain. Yes, it will come with the sweat of your brow. But be honest about who you are. This week when Lauren talked to you, she gave you moments of honesty that the Lord revealed. Moments in her story where God said, Lauren, where are you? Where are you? That were brought out along the way. But if you're not listening to God, if you're only blaming God or blaming others for where you are in those rocky parts that she talked about with Edelweiss, if you're only blaming others and blaming God, you will miss God saying to you, where are you? You will miss the opportunity for deep confession, and you will miss the blessing of seeing yourself and understanding yourself as God's child. And so that is my call to you as we pray, and we're going to pray in that direction, that we would hear God say, where are you, as an act of intimacy, that we'd see prayer as an of intimacy and relationship with God as we're honest with God about who we are. Let's pray after a moment of silence. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, sometimes the hardest thing to do is take a good hard look in the mirror. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to slow down and sit quietly because we know that in that quietness we will hear you calling. And that's honestly why some of us try to busy ourselves. That's honestly why some of us try to rush or try to drown things out with or try to drown out your voice with, you know, television or technology or whatever. Father, first for our church take away the fear of sitting quietly in intimate prayer with you take away the fear replace it with the comfort of the spirit that when we are honest about who we are and what we've done that you do provide a covering for us you do provide a hope you do provide Jesus Christ but when we are weak we are strong We are helped mightily until by our own strength we make ourselves something that we are not. So, Father, help us to listen to you and hear your voice. And then from that, God, will you empower people? Will you show them, God, that you've given them your Holy Spirit to partner with you in this mission to be fruitful and multiply in the world, to be flourishing to our neighbors, to our families, to our friends, to our church family, to this city? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. City Church, go and multiply the gospel.